Well, good morning, Lakewood. It is a privilege to be here, and thank you for taking such good care of an important portion of my family as you minister to them. You are a significant church. I want to bring you a word of encouragement. Uh, I travel regionally and different places, and here in the Midwest and here in Minnesota, this church is looked to as a significant contributor to the body of Christ. And so I'm honored to be here in your midst at a crossroads. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, and then we'll touch on the first chapters of Joshua as we think this morning about lordship and submission. Let me set the stage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll unpack some of this truth. So Israel is at a crossroads. They are just across the Jordan River from their promised land, and they'd been here three times before, rather twice before. This was the third time. The first connection with the promised land was when Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he came, and, and he had a family. You know that story from the record of Genesis. Isaac was there, and Jacob, and then Jacob and his family Uh, were transferred to Egypt for a long sojourn there. The second time was uh, as part of the exodus. Out of Egypt they came miraculously to the edge of the promised land. Spies were sent in. And then in a tragedy of tremendous proportion, the nation that had trusted God to get them out of Egypt failed to trust him to to get them into their promised land. And if you're familiar with the biblical record, you know that story as well. And so it was back into the wilderness for 40 years. An entire generation would perish. Only two, the two faithful spies, were here in this time in Joshua 1. Joshua and Caleb. They're about to enter into their promise. It's a crossroads. It's curious, isn't it? Some crossroads are expected, some less expected. The promised land was something of dreams for this younger generation. They'd heard about it all through their lives, and here they were. However, if you're Joshua and in leadership in Israel, there are some issues. Uh, Three come immediately to mind. One is that the Jordan River is at flood stage, and utterly uncrossable. Secondly, there are still giants in the land. And third, as we'll see today, there is the matter of Jericho, a city that's never been conquered. I would guess that the cynics, or if you're a real d- reader of children's literature, the Eeyores among us, <coughs> would say, doesn't look like a promised land to me. But encapsulated in the obstacles is an opportunity, and it is to trust in the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for Lakewood, for the people gathered here, for others that will come a little later this morning, for the people whom you are going to reach through the people gathered here. We ask at this crossroads that you would be sovereign, that you would lead and guide and direct, that you would teach us today from your word something of the dynamics of your lordship and encourage us in the process. 
Make your will clear. Give us the courage to obey. Open your truth to us. Do a work in us and then through us. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Sort of a shopping list this morning of truths about lordship. Each one is important and each one is illustrated, I think, significantly uh, in the book of Joshua. Follow along as I read, beginning in Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said, <clears throat> the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them and to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great <laughs> river, the Euphrates, <clears throat> all the Hittite country to the great sea to the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Have not I commanded you? <clears throat> be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Amen. Several truths about the Lordship of Christ. You come to him as Savior. He is both Savior and Lord. Israel needs to understand that. We need to understand it today. First truth is this. <clears throat> Submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is predicated upon our surrender of that position. Submission to Jesus' Lordship means that we need to give up being Lord. Stephen Curtis Chapman says it well in a song. There's a phrase in the song that goes, God is God and I am not. And we say, if we've walked with the Lord a long time, we take it for granted and we quietly say, well, duh, not so quickly. There is that within us which sneaks into that position, is there not? Of operating as Lord in our own life, of being the master of our own destiny, of being boss. Step one in surrender to the Lordship of Christ is yielding that position to Him. Stephen Curtis Chapman goes on, God is God and I am a man. I'll never understand it all for only God is God. Only God is God. God is God and I am not. Jesus made His terms of surrender clear in the Gospels. He said, if any man comes after me and must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life shall lose it. Whoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his own self? So the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives is predicated on our surrender of that role. As long as we remain Lord, Jesus cannot be, and so we need to deal with that fundamental issue. Secondly, submission to the lordship of Christ is accompanied by his 
sovereign assurance in two forms, his promises and his presence. His promises and his presence. Joshua 1.3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Loved ones, God always keeps his word. Always, 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 always keeps his word. He never fails. If he promises, he keeps his promises. <clears throat> you surrender to his lordship, you can claim the promises of God, and he will keep them. He also gives us the assurance of his presence. Verse 5, as we read, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's quoted in the New Testament as well, writer of Hebrews. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, verse 9. For the Lord your God will be with you. Listen, Lord, if I give up authority in my own life and just surrender to you, what assurance do I have? My son, my daughter, you have my promises and you have my presence. You surrender the Lordship, I will be with you. Sounds like a good exchange, doesn't it? There's a third truth. <clears throat> Submission to the Lordship of Christ requires, listen carefully, requires the courage of dependency. The courage of dependency. It's interesting, we're here celebrating in the Lakes area, the 4th of July, the celebration of American independence. <clears throat> the Christian life, that's problematic. As a nation, we've enjoyed the freedoms. But in the Christian life, it's not independence that we target, it's dependence. It's dependence. And it takes courage to be dependent. It takes courage. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful. Verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate, it, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll prosper. Then you'll be successful. Dependence precedes blessing. God looks to our hearts for a sense of dependence. If you've lived a while, you're aware that uh, in times of great difficulty, there is a tremendous temptation to take back control. We seem to do pretty well, at least in declaring that Jesus is Lord and that we're dependent on him. And then when crises comes, the first response is not, am I right, to relax and go, oh, the world, my world has fallen apart. I think I'll just relax and let God take charge. No. <clears throat> Our first response is to take back control. We want the reins. We want the steering wheel. We want to be there, kind of trying to guide this thing. It's silly if you look at it objectively, but it's very, very common, very natural. And in those times when difficulty comes, 
It takes tremendous courage to continue to be dependent, to allow Jesus to be Lord. In crises, it takes courage to run to him rather than to run from him. To run to him rather than from him. In reality, independence is a mark of a person whose faith has failed in that moment. God calls us instead to courageous, continuous dependence. All right, so God is God and we're not. We yield to his presence, we receive, uh, to his lordship, we receive his promises and his presence. He calls us to the courage of dependency. And now comes the matter of obedience. Number four. <clears throat> Submission to the lordship of Christ is demonstrated in active and immediate obedience. My servant Moses is dead. Now then, get ready to cross the Jordan River. Joshua ordered the people, verses 10 and 11, go through the camp, tell the people, get ready. Three days from now, you're going to cross. Joshua obeyed. For the person who has an understanding of the instruction of Christ, delayed obedience is rebellion against Christ. Let me say that again. <clears throat> For the person who has an understanding of the instruction of Christ, delayed obedience to Christ is rebellion against Christ. Every mom knows that. Edward, is there, I don't, don't raise your hand if you're Edward. I'm just making this up, all right? Edward, put your toys away. Okay. Play, 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 play. Edward, play, 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 play. When there's a delay, moms, that's disobedience. And you get that. And you deal with it. Dads, you deal with it, uh, depending on the level of disobedience. When we say to God, when God says to us a clear directive, and we say to God, in effect, I'll get back to you on it. When we take over the timetable, that's called rebellion. That's not, uh, I really, I, yeah, I really wanted to obey later, kind of, sort of, No. That's rebellion. It's important because rebellion, the Bible tells us, enters into another camp. It's the other side. Uh, Samuel had to chastise King Saul, if you're familiar with that part of the Bible. He says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You, when you rebel against a godly authority, you're in another camp. You're in the enemy's camp. And so it's serious. Now I realize little infractions get little recompense and big infractions get bigger recompense, but we need to be guarded in our heart about God saying something to us, and we say, well, hmm, yeah, later. No, no. Many believers who persist uh, in delayed obedience, they, they say, well, tomorrow I'll obey, or once I get through this, I'll obey, or when I sense it's the right time, there's a spiritual-sounding one, I'll obey, <clears throat> or when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I'll obey. Well, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Or when God gives me a sign, I'll obey, etc. We can spiritualize our disobedience. If you understand what God is saying to you, obey without delay. Now, God is very patient with us. You know that if you've walked with the Lord for a while. 
if you're not quite clear yet, if you're honestly uncertain, he will be so patient with your heart. He will work and work and work so that it's clear. Good parenting is that way as well. When a little one does not understand, that's a whole different thing. Then we explain, we approach it differently, and we give them alternatives, and we make sure that it's clear. But you're following me. If, if it's clear, then we need to act. Then we need to do it. God's not under any obligation to give us a second explanation if we have not followed the first. Here's the fifth thing. Submission to the Lordship of Christ is rewarded, and that's good news, by the power and providence of Christ demonstrated in our lives. His providence and his power. It happened to Israel. <clears throat> well, we aren't going to read all of this passage in the interest of time, but if you look in, in uh, chapter 2, uh, Joshua sends spies into Jericho, that problem city, the fortress, to uh, discover if there is any vulnerabilities. There wasn't. And while the spies are there, listen to this. They meet a pagan prostitute in whom the Spirit of God has been at work. Only God can do this. I'm not making it up. Verse 11, chapter 2. <clears throat> this, this woman has heard about it, and God's been at work. Here's her testimony. When we here in Jericho heard of it, that is the exodus, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, this is the testimony of a pagan prostitute who's on her way by God's providence to faith. This is amazing. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That is incredible. Of all the places in that impenetrable city that they could have landed, how is it that they landed in the home and in interaction with the one person who had come to believe that the God of the nation of Israel was God over the entire universe? You can search ancient history and you will look long and hard to find anybody who believed that. There were Israelites struggling to believe that. And here's little old Rahab, and she gets it. That's just amazing. That's amazing. That's the providence of God. Some of you had an experience like that in recent days, maybe even this weekend. You know, I was doing this and this. I just happened to bump into, or it just happened to be there exactly what I, and you fill in the blank. It's the providence of God. You walk in the lordship of Christ, he's going to demonstrate his providence on a regular basis. Secondly, he's going to demonstrate his power. <clears throat> providence was demonstrated the, the spying and the power at the crossing. Uh, real quickly, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest. As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Elders at Lakewood, there's experiences like this. God says, you, you go first. I'm guessing these were men of prayer all the way across. They're a half mile ahead of the people, roughly. I'm guessing they're praying as they look at the roaring rapids. Okay, God, now's a good time. Lord? Lord? As their feet went in the water, that's how long he waited. As the hem of the garments touched the water, they're walking in all the way home. And then, 
the water stops. Incredible what the power of God is. Piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. And while the waters flowing south to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I would love, I think in pictures often, and I'd just love to see the faces on, on those priests, you know, first as they approached the rapids, Lord, Lord, Lord. And now they're in the middle, oh yeah. See? Yeah. We knew it. We kn- you guys didn't know it. You were shaken. So would we be. If we're willing to submit to God's lordship, the lordship of Christ will demonstrate his provision and power. Here's the sixth thing. Submission to the lordship of Christ is revealed in consecration to Christ, being set apart unto him. If you belong to Jesus, your life will show it. Holiness matters in every generation. Holiness matters. There are different nuances to it, what it means to be set apart unto Christ. It won't look exactly the same in each generation. Israel was consecrated to the Lord before they crossed the command, chapter 3, verse 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God's going to do amazing things. During the crossing, they built an altar. So a stone a stone, according to the number of tribes of Israel, erected as an altar so that in the future the children would say, what do those stones mean? Well, let me tell you the story. When we came into this land that our God promised to us, the Jordan River was at flood stage and we crossed on dry ground. That's what those stones remember. We are set apart unto the Lord. After the crossing, they renewed their covenant, a third consecration through the covenant of circumcision. So all the way through this process of entrance into the promise, there's consecration. Lord, we are yours. Lord, we are yours. Here's an altar. Lord, we are yours. Here's the sign of circumcision. Lord, we belong to you. Personal holiness is a reaction to the lordship of Christ in our lives. We become different, and it shows. It shows. True submission to his lordship is visible. It's revealed in holiness and our consecration to God. Seventh truth, almost done with the list. Submission to the lordship of Christ retains a clear perspective of his role, of what he intends. At the crossroads for Israel, vital that we understand his role. At the crossroads, For Lakewood, vital that we understand the role of Jesus. As I mentioned and alluded to, and some of you are aware from study, Jericho is not the biggest city in the land, but it was the most impenetrable. Double walls stacked one on top of the other. They had granaries inside. They had running water. There was no way to lay siege to it. There was no way to get in. It's a sermon for another day when we talk about God's plan, which didn't make a bit of sense, humanly speaking. They would simply walk around, and then at the end they shout and have a little trumpet blow and the whole thing imploded. It's, I would have never thought of that, nor would you. <clears throat> but on this side of that conquest, it was impenetrable. If you're a leader, you're going, How, what? What? What can we do? And there's a pivotal moment on the eve of any great challenge when we must deal with fear 
and decide again in that moment who will be Lord of our life, who will be in charge. And in that moment, there's a temptation that we face to say, God, I really need your help. I need you to be on my side in this. Perhaps that prayer was in Joshua's heart as he reconnoitered the city. He's alone now, and he's going to take a little closer look at what actually they face here. It's in chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Now, let me pause to say, understand Joshua's on high alert here. He went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Are you on, now paraphrasing, are you on our side or on their side? Pretty important to know that. Look at the reply. Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Now, there's a lot here that we don't have time to explore. We believe this is a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, Jesus intervening in his creation, subject again for another day. But Joshua understood the same thing, and he did the right thing. His perspective is revealed in his response. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Are you on our side or on their side? Neither. I'm the captain of God's host. Poof! Joshua is on the ground. He understood who he was dealing with. We need to understand an incredibly important truth, and it's this. When God shows up, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. When the Lord Jesus Christ inserts himself into a situation, he's not choosing a side. He's choosing to be Lord. He is in charge. He comes to take over. When we cry out to Jesus, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. When we surrender our life to Jesus by faith, he doesn't come into our life to be on our side. He comes into our life to take over our life. When a church lifts up its prayer to the Lord for help, in a time, a crossroads time, a time of challenge, Jesus doesn't align himself on the side of that church. He takes that invitation seriously. He comes to take over that church. He says, in effect, loved ones, I'm here now, and I'm Lord. I'm in charge. He doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. Doesn't join our competitions in life. Isn't here to fulfill our plans. Doesn't await our orders. He's Lord. He's in charge comes to take over lives, churches, communities, nations, worlds, and a universe. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You remember that Jesus Christ is whom? He's Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And there is, Joshua understood, and so do we need to. There's one appropriate response to that lordship. One question to ask, and that is, what message do you have for me, Lord? I'm at your service. Think of the striving that would disappear 
into the mist if we would live that way daily. Jesus is Lord. So loved ones, Lakewood, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is here, and he's in charge. And Joshua did the right thing. In anxiety, uncertainty, and difficulty, he simply said, what, what are you saying to me, Lord? What, do you, what message do you have? You know, and we've peaked. Joshua would go on to lead the nation of Israel in conquering Jericho, but first, the Lord Jesus had to conquer Joshua. He won't be our assistant. He will be our authority. He calls us not to partnership. He calls us to surrender. Have you made that choice? Have you surrendered individually to the ownership and lordship of Jesus? If not, as we pray, and we'll transition into the Lord's Supper in just a moment, I invite you to make that decision today. If you're personally at a crossroads, you're tempted to run from the Lord, things aren't going well, run to him instead. Do the courageous thing. Do the act of faith. Surrender to his lordship. If you've never done that, I invite you to do it for the first time, to ask him to enter your life, to forgive your sin, particularly this morning on this subject, the sin of self-sufficiency. Ask him to give you life forever, to come to live within you by his Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, recommit your life to his lordship. If you're a person of influence in this church, commit not only your life, but this great church this body of believers to him as well. Join me as we pray to that end. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge here at Lakewood this morning in this place in your kingdom, surrounded by the beauty of your creation, we acknowledge that you, Jesus, are Lord. And I pray with every loved one in this service this morning who is in a time of anxiety, discouragement, that you would give them the courage to run to you, not from you, and that you would be with every person who cries out to you now for the first time for forgiveness, that you'd enter that life with your power and presence and give them a forever life with you. And I pray with those who know you, Lord, but perhaps have, as I have from time to time, moved into the arena of my own control, we re-surrender to your Lordship. May the outcome, Lord, be as we yield to you, that you demonstrate your power and your presence and your promises, and that you glorify yourself, and in the process, we are changed, made more like you, and we are blessed. To that end, we commit ourselves and to your glory as we pray in your name. Amen.